Colossians chapter 4, that's where we're going to start off today. This week as we walked through um, the book of Joshua in chapter 4 and the W4, I was doing the second W on Tuesday and a, and a couple of verses stood out to me. I wanted to, to point them out this morning because they have everything to do with what we're going to talk about today. So listen to these words. So Joshua, in Joshua 4.10 it says this, for the priests, if you remember they stepped into the Jordan River and God is has kind of stopped the water flowing and and up the river there's a big wall there and it says for the priest bearing the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded so that that phrase stood out to me um, in light of kind of where we've been with Jonah and how Jonah finished things that they stood there until they did everything that God wanted them to do in the midst of the river uh, and his purposes of how they were to cross over and so we're going to talk over the next several weeks, about finishing well and about doing everything that the Lord had uh, com- commands us to do. So that was Joshua 4.10. Joshua 4.14 has kind of the same idea about the life of Joshua. And this is what it says. On that day, after they'd crossed over, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him just as they stood in awe of Moses. Listen to this phrase. All the days of Joshua's life. So when Joshua got to the end of his life, a generation watched him, watched him as he was in the desert and, and, or they were in the wilderness. And Joshua would go into the tent when Moses would meet with God and God would come down and meet with Moses. Joshua would go into the tent with Moses. So, so Joshua's life was, was shaped by early on listening to God and Moses talk. And now he's the leader. And, and Joshua gets exalted in God's eyes and in the, the people's eyes, gets exalted in the people's eyes, and so that his life was marked that at the end of them, all the days of Joshua's life, he was seen as a man who finished. He was seen as a man of faithfulness. And in light of that, this week, coming out of Jonah, who, as we finished last week, did not appear to finish well, that Jonah is still outside of the city in the heart scorching eastern wind, and he's still shaking his finger at God, saying, God, why did you do that? And so, uh, in light of last week of looking at someone that we don't know if, if Jonah ever got things together, um, we felt it would be good over the next several weeks before we begin Second Peter to look at some people in the Bible who did finish well. And let's learn some things from them. We can learn from those who make some mistakes, but we can also really learn some things from those um, who walked intimately with God and finish well. And so we're going to, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some of those people in the Bible, but we're not going to look at the famous ones. So we're not going to look at the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at some of the ones that don't stand out so much, that don't talk out, uh, you know, maybe we don't talk about as much, but who really lived incredibly faithful lives. And today we will do that as well. So today I want to talk about um, a man who, at some particular point in time in his life, Somebody came through where he lived and either he heard a sermon or somebody stopped him or somebody stepped into his practice and somebody shared the gospel with him. He heard that there was a God who came and he, he took on skin and, and he died on a cross and, and that the sin and the guilt and the shame and all of that stuff that we've sung about this morning, um, that could all be washed away, could be taken away in the light of the glorious love that God has for people to redeem those. And, and this man heard about that. God opened his mind and his heart, and he believed by faith, 
in Jesus. And at that moment, his life was dramatically changed. Though we don't know anything about his salvation experience, the Scripture doesn't teach us anything about it. We know this to be true, that from that moment on, something changed about him. And our lives today have been impacted because of what Christ had done in salvation with him. We don't know much about him, but we know about the Jesus that he wrote about. Because his heart was dramatically transformed and he lived in such a way to not make much of himself but he made much of a god of a god who had transformed him and changed him his name is mentioned in the book as a matter of fact um, i've mentioned his name uh many many times you have mentioned his name many many times but we don't know a lot of detail about him as a matter of fact there's only two words that the scripture says about him two adjectives about him But there's some other things that we can infer um, about him by looking at some of the descriptions and some of the reality of the people that he did life with. And so this man lived in such a way to put the sole focus of his life on Jesus. He never mentions himself, even though he was a man greatly impacted. We sit in this room today impacted by this man's life. And you may have never really thought about it. Um, He is one of the most prolific New Testament writers um, he wrote one-third of the New Testament. And uh, there's just not a lot said about him, but you will see by the end of the time t- uh, today that there's a lot of things that we can learn that we know to be true about him, again, as I said, because of the people that he was around. So here's this guy. He comes to faith. Uh, we believe that um, he was from Antioch of Syria, and I'll share a little bit more um, about that here in a moment. And I've been walking with the Lord for almost 36 years now, about 36 years ago. I had to get the calculator out to kind of figure that out because when those numbers get too high, it's kind of difficult for me. But about 36 years ago, um, I came to know Christ in, in probably late March, early April of 1983. And I've never heard a sermon about him before. I've never uh, taught on him before. And so I had fun this week. Um, so um, I'm going to bring you on a journey with me. I'll just tell you right up front, this is a different sermon. It's kind of a different talk. Uh, we're going to kind of do a character study and look at somebody who passionately loved Jesus and lived their life until they could breathe no more for Jesus. And our life has been shaped by what God did in him and what God said to him and how he surrendered to God and because of the people um, around him. Anybody have a guess of who we may talk about today? Anybody? No, you can't. I heard it. It's over here. Luke. We're going to talk about Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And so we're going to look at his life today. And um, there's no evidence in Scripture that he ever met Jesus, ever heard Jesus teach. Um, It looks like that he came to faith uh, much later after Christ was here and after the church was kind of going. But there's some great things to learn about him. So let's look, first of all, this morning, the man called Luke. So I told Luke Woodward... Earlier, you're going to hear, Luke's going to hear his, his name a lot uh, today. Uh, Jonah Hill got to hear his name mentioned a lot. So anyway, this is a great name. Uh, I know some of us are older, but if you were to have another kid, I think Luke would be a great word if it's a son, not a girl, uh, to name them. So look with me in Colossians chapter 4. And I want to show you the first place that Luke is mentioned in the Bible. Colossians chapter 4, and if you would, go to verse 10. All right, here's what it says. So Paul, by the way, let me just set the context. Paul has uh, been arrested. He's in Rome. He's in prison. He writes four letters from Rome. 
He writes the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, and he writes a letter to a guy named Philemon from Rome. And so this book of Colossians is written from prison. He's got some people around him. Paul's going to tell us some people that are kind of with him in prison. And so let's look at this. So Luke 4.10, or Colossians 4.10, excuse me. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort for me. So let's just stop there for a moment. So Paul's in prison. He's got some people that are with him, people that are visiting with him. They are Jews. So he's just mentioned the Jews. Now he's going to mention some people that are also a part of this group, and they're Gentiles. So look in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. So Epaphras is from this church. Always, listen to this description of Epaphras. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God. Verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. And verse 14 says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So if this is somewhere around 62 AD, Paul's in prison. Second missionary journey has happened. These guys have been traveling with him. Paul's been arrested. He is in prison. He writes back. And here is Paul's description of Luke. Two words, there are only two words that are specifically said about Luke. When Luke writes, writes, writes his gospel, and when he writes the book of Acts, he never mentions his name at all. So here's the first description. Paul calls him the beloved physician. If you look at this word in the Greek, this word beloved means one who is specially, intimately, and greatly loved. So Paul looks at Luke, and Luke is in Paul's life, and Paul's great description of Luke is this. He's beloved. He's my friend. He's one that I think highly of. He's one who's loved me well. He's someone who's special in my life. Now, I love the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote 13 epistles, um, some of them really, really long, some of them significant. And if Paul wrote the book of Hebrews as well, um, Paul just is this prolific, great writer. And he wrote one-third of the New Testament, but Luke also wrote one-third of the New Testament when you compare all of the sentences and all the chapters that are there. And so, so Luke is in Paul's life, and Paul, describing Luke, says this, he's the beloved physician. So we learn this about him. He is a doctor. So he spent his life, he's been educated in, in the Roman world system. He's been educated at a, at a university where he's learned to be a doctor, and he's probably got a practice And he's going to see people in their home and they're coming to see him. And somebody comes along one day and tells him about Jesus. And he decides to be a follower of Jesus. And so he's in a church, obviously, likely that Paul is established. But later on, he gets involved with Paul and he goes on the missionary journeys with Paul. And for much of his life and for much of Paul's faith life, Luke is in his life. And Paul likely has been the benefactor of Luke's skill in being a doctor because of the, some of the things that happened in, in Paul's life in regard to some of the persecution. So here's just one word, just real simple. Luke is, according to Paul, he's, he's the doctor I love. I love him. Um, he's beloved by me. He has been indispensable in my life. Now I want you to go to the right 
And I want you to go to the book of Philemon. If you don't know where Philemon is, find the book of Hebrews and go left. If you, don't, if you find the book of Titus, go right. It's sandwiched in between. It's, it's a one-chapter letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And in Philemon, only one chapter, verses 23 and 24, we get the next description of Luke. So here's what Paul writes at the close of the letter to Philemon. Epaphras, again, here's these same guys mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. So this is in Rome, and Paul is surrounded by all these guys. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So Epaphras is in prison as well with him. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And here's how he describes them. Here's a second description of Luke. My fellow workers. So that's it. Okay, should we pray and just go home? No, we can't do that, okay? And if you wish that, you better not wish that. Check your heart. <clears throat> two descriptions, that's it, just two words, or three words, I guess, four words, however you want to do it, but anyway, so he's beloved physician and fellow worker, and that's it, that's, that's the description the New Testament gives about Luke, it's a pretty good description, isn't it, if Paul, the Apostle Paul were to say, you're beloved by me because of the indispensable nature of who you are and how you've ministered to me in my life. You're a friend that I can count on. You're somebody that I can, that I can trust and I can talk to. And I know you're somebody who's going to tell me um, what needs to be said and you're going to give me the right kind of counsel. So Paul deeply loves Luke. And then now to Philemon, they're with him in Rome. And Paul writes to Philemon and says, listen, here are these guys. Philemon, I want to remind you, these guys are my fellow workers. They are my friends We're in this together, deeply committed to the gospel and taking the gospel to the nations, and we are working at this. So those are the two descriptions specifically. But there's so much inference in other places as to who Luke is. And so let me talk about the man called Luke. And so Luke Luke is loved by Paul. He is a fellow worker of Paul. And Luke, in his writings in the gospel as well as Acts, there is this tremendous Gentile emphasis uh, in both of those books. And I think that's natural because Luke is the only non-Jew writer of the Scripture. So he is a Gentile. And he has come to faith and God uses him to write. And it's just another one of those confirming things that you find in the Scripture that the gospel was never going to be just for the Jews, just for Israel. The gospel was always going to be for the nations, for the Jews and the Gentiles. But God was going to use the Jewish people as his light to the nations about who God is. And so, so we know this, that Luke's writing has been heavily influenced because of who he is. He is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. And it just goes to show you what God can do in somebody's life. So so Luke has grown up, educated. It seems like he's a historian. He loves history. He's a doctor. He's a man of science. He thinks through things. He's, He's been raised up in a culture where they worship all kinds of idols and craziness of the gods and the gods are angry and he's grown up in that environment and now he comes to know Christ and everything about his life is just dramatically shifted and now instead of doctoring just about bodies there's a concern about Luke's heart for people and their souls and he eventually joins up with Paul 
on these missionary journeys. We believe, as I said earlier, he came from a place called Antioch of Syria. Let me tell you a brief things about this. If you remember when Stephen was, uh, was stoned, um, the church had been just growing and growing and growing in Jerusalem. And at Stephen's death, uh, the apostle Paul was there. It was called Saul at the time. This great persecution forced the church in Jerusalem to flee. Well, some of the people who fled the church in Jerusalem landed in the northern coastal city on the Mediterranean in a place called Antioch of Syria. And these believers who had known Jesus and had been a part of the Jerusalem church, they go to Antioch, and a church is formed there. And Acts 11 tells us about that, that this church is formed there. Um, it's formed of mainly Jews who speak Hebrew, but there's also people there that are Jews who grew up not speaking Hebrew as their main language. Their main tongue was Greek, and they're called Hellenists. And so this church is formed there on the coastal city in northern Israel uh, in the city of Antioch. And that eventually becomes the church that sends the first missionaries out. Because you get to Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas in a night of worship, in a day of worship, in a time of fasting, the Holy Spirit sets Paul and Barnabas apart to go to take the gospel to Asia Minor, and so this church sends them out. Tradition tells us that Luke was from this area, and so at some point in time in his life, he was a part of that church. Let me just share one verse with you, Acts 11, uh, verse 26, or verse 26, or 25 and 26. Say, Barnabas, after the church in Antioch um, had been formed, Barnabas went to Tarsus to find Paul, and it says, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so Paul comes in and teaches for a year and be, kind of becomes the de facto pastor of the church in Antioch. And at some point in time, from what we understand, Luke comes to faith through this church and through the influence um, of this. And so that kind of gives us a little bit idea as to who Luke is. So I told the first service Carol was in there, and some of you have no idea what I'm about to say. Some of you do. We're about to do Larry Metcalf's sermon here, okay? If you remember when Larry would preach, we would go everywhere. So we're about to do Bible drill, and so I want you to go to Second uh, Peter chapter 1, and I want to show you something else that is true about Luke's life. Luke was someone in whom the Spirit of God was moving, so I kind of gave you the background of what we believe about Luke, uh, the two biblical titles. He was fellow worker. So 2 Peter chapter 1. And let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and let's go to verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, until the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all. So Peter's writing about, here's how the scripture comes to us. Old Testament and New Testament. So here he says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by whom? The Holy Spirit. So, Peter's writing to this group of believers, and we'll talk about, we'll get to chapter 1, because we're going to, probably in about a month or so, we'll start walking through Second uh, Peter. So Peter says this, listen, when Scripture was written, the person who wrote the Scripture just didn't say one day, I think I'll write Scripture. 
It didn't come out of man's own invention, man's own interpretation. But verse 21 tells us this, that those who wrote Scripture, Daniel, Moses, they were carried along, they were moved in by the Spirit, and through the Spirit's working in their life, they wrote down the Scripture that has come to us. So watch this about Luke. Here's a, another characteristic that the, even though the Scripture doesn't say this was true about Luke, we know this to be true because he, he wrote one-third of the New Testament. He was a man who yielded his life to walk in obedience to Christ and yielded his heart to allow the Spirit to move in his life. He was filled with the Spirit. And because of that, God chose to use him to write the book, the Gospel of Luke, and to write the book of Acts so that we would understand these two very unique things about who Jesus is and the founding of the church. And so Luke was one of those in whom the Spirit moved to write the Scripture. We know that the Scripture is God-breathed. That's what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is... It's the word in the Greek, literally, breathed out of the mouth of God from God's lungs, breathed out from His heart, from His mind, breathed out, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God and woman of God may be equipped for every good work. So the Gospel of Luke has come to us, the book of Acts has come to us, because Luke yielded his heart to the Spirit, and the Spirit used him to write this. That leads to the third thing to see about Luke. He is a man of biblical words. He is a man of biblical words. So in light of what I just shared with you previously, he is a Gentile, but he is also the second most prolific writer in the New Testament. So I want you to I want, I want to share a couple of things with you here. So Luke, Luke wrote the whole book of Acts. And all the way up to Acts chapter 16, Luke uses this phrase, they, them, those, because Luke wasn't there. He wasn't an eyewitness. But when you get to Acts chapter 16, from Acts chapter 16, except for a brief aspect of part of things in, uh, in chapter 17, from Acts 16 all the way to Acts 28, Paul, uh, Luke uses these words, we, our, and us. What does that indicate to us? Well, before that, he wasn't with Paul. But after that, he was an eyewitness with Paul. And so he's writing about things he was literally seeing himself, but he becomes this man of great biblical words. Paul wrote, um, I, th- uh, I think Paul wrote, I'm trying to think here, I think I have it in my notes, I can't remember where it is. I don't, anyway, I'll, it's there. I can't remember what it is. Uh, Luke wrote 52 chapters of the New Testament. The Apostle John wrote 50. So next to the Apostle Paul, Luke wrote more scripture than anybody else now watch this i find it fascinating as a student of the bible you've got two guys traveling together on missionary journeys and they've written two-thirds of the new testament can you imagine the kind of conversations those two had people yielded to the lord the people whom the spirit was choosing to write the scripture can you imagine what it was like in prison in rome paul in chains and luke coming to visit him and Paul writing scripture, Luke, I think during that time as well, probably in those two years that Paul was in, in Rome, Luke is, he has done his research, he's probably writing, he either did that in the time when Paul was probably two years in Caesarea in Israel before he went to Rome, 
And so he's taking this time, and Luke's writing, Paul is writing, and these guys are companions with one another. And they write two-thirds of the New Testament that has come to us today and dramatically impacted our lives. Another unique thing about him being a man of biblical words is uh, when Luke starts his gospel in chapter 1, um, he has a little prologue, and then it begins with uh, John the Baptist. When you get to the very end, Acts, Acts chapter 28, Paul is in prison at the end of his second missionary journey. Uh, people are coming to visit Paul. He's likely writing some of the letters that are going out at that point in time. And Luke's writing covers a 60-year period of time from John the Baptist until Paul is in prison after the second missionary journey. No other New Testament writer writes a more comprehensive uh, histor- his- historical picture of Jesus and the church than Luke. He spends his life proclaiming and writing about the gospel, which is good news. He loves to talk about the word salvation. It just permeates Luke, and it permeates, um, it permeates also the book um, of Acts. Now, there's been some attack, as it has always been the case. People love to attack the New Testament. People love to attack the Bible. But if you go back and historically look at things, in the early part of the second century, um, there is an, there's a early part, about mid, mid-first century, about 150, there's a copy of the New Testament, or there's a copy of the gospel, the, the gospel that we know as the Gospel of Luke. And at the top of it, in the second century, um, it says the gospel according to Luke. So the first and second century believers attributed the third gospel to Luke. There's also a canon. A canon is a set of the letters, the set of the New Testament. The earliest uh, canon is somewhere between 150 and 170 A.D. And it also includes a separate one than just that single thing of Luke's gospel. And it in there as well, the third gospel is called the gospel according to Luke. So according to the first and second century church fathers, they believe that Luke was the writer of Acts and he was the writer of the third gospel that comes to us. So let's see some of the things that he said. I want you to go now to Luke chapter 1. I just want to point out a couple of things in the first part. Um, <clears throat> it was traditional back in those days, Socrates and all of these guys back in there, with their great writings, they would have a prologue always. Luke has a prologue here. And basically what Luke is doing is he is holding up his writing to be equal with the great minds of that day. And he's writing in the same kind of style and he gives a prologue. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. So here's how Luke begins his gospel. And as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, and just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have de- delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So this is, this is a prologue, and then we get to uh, verse 5, this, this telling of the coming of John the Baptist happens. So this prologue, he says five really important things. I'm just going to briefly touch on them. One is simply this. He said this, people have been writing about the life of Jesus. And Luke says, and I'm reading the things that those who are eyewitnesses have written about Jesus. I've been reading those things. Now we know that Matthew at this particular point in time, 
Mark was the earliest gospel written. Matthew was second. Luke was the third one. And John wrote his later. So likely, as Luke is writing his, he has read Mark and he has read Matthew. But there were other eyewitnesses that were likely writing things. And Luke was getting his hands on everything that was being written about Jesus in the early days. And so he says, listen, when I wrote this, Theophilus, I gathered together all the stuff that's been written about Jesus, and I've been reading it, and I've been studying it. Secondly, he says, I spoke to the eyewitnesses. I talked to the people that day when Jesus was going through town, and there was a woman there who had been going to doctors for 12 years, and she was just bleeding, and nobody could fix her. And she spent money and time and energy trying to be healed, and she reached out her hand one day, and she touched the cloak of Jesus, and immediately she was healed. And Jesus sensed that power had gone out of him and stood around. And Luke has this interesting perspective as he writes this as a doctor. And I think that Luke probably talked to somebody who was there that day. From Luke one twenty six, it is, I believe, yeah, Luke one twenty six, all the way to the end of chapter 2 of Luke. It's the most extensive, detailed description about John the Baptist, the miraculous thing about John the Baptist um, and his conception and then the unbelievable thing you got two older people or we got this older couple who had a kid yet and and so they get pregnant and John the Baptist is going to come and so watch this Luke writes this detailed account about John the Baptist coming and about Jesus is coming and he's the only one who includes this thing called the Magnificat of Mary, where when the angel speaks to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have in your body, in your womb, the Son of God. And Mary just has this great worship. And then it goes on. He's got this detailed description of the, what we call the Christmas story. Luke also includes aspects of the boyhood of Jesus. And he also includes this story when Jesus got left in Jerusalem and his parents got almost all the way back home to Nazareth, and they realized we've left, we've left, um, we've left our kid back in Jerusalem by himself, and they go back. And so Luke records all this. You know how Luke got that information? At some point in time in his life, he sat down with Mary. He said, "Hey, Mary, can you tell me that story about your worship when the angel came and you worshipped him? Can you tell me that story when you left?" Jesus there. So Luke says, listen, I talked to the people who were there. I interviewed them. I wrote down the things that they said, they experienced. And then he says this, and then I conducted a careful investigation of this. I didn't haphazardly do this, Theophilus. I examined it. I talked to the people. I read everything that was being written about Jesus. And then he said, and I've written to you an orderly account and so he's focused on this, and all of this is for this purpose. He says, so that you would know with certainty that the things Luke writes, that I'm writing, and the things that I'm writing about the church, you can bank on it that all of this is absolutely true. And so Luke wrote the gospel through the inspiration of the Spirit, researching, talking to eyewitnesses, so that when you and I in year 2019, we could open this book and know, gosh, this has been touched by man for centuries. Surely man has messed this up. And Luke would say, no, God is sovereign. This is inspired. There's no errors in here. And it has come to you today in 2019 as the truth of God's word. Despite what man would do, despite man's thoughts, despite differing languages and interpretations, this is the truth of God's word. So he is this 
man of incredible biblical words. Let's just look at one more, Acts chapter 1, and I want to show you how he begins that so you can kind of see that reality. Acts chapter 1, this is what it says, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. And after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, now we, we believe Theophilus was a guy who was a governor of an area called Achaia in Greece. Can you imagine to be this man? That under the inspiration of the Spirit, the, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts came to him so that he could know for certainty. And now here you and I are a couple thousand years later after that, and we can know for certainty today that the detailed historical writing of Luke about the church and about Jesus, that it's true. We can bank on it and we can believe it. See, Luke is this one... If he could be here today, he would say there's a value to the necessity of God's word and God's word must be priority in your life. And Luke was dominated by God speaking. He just wanted to know and he wanted to read and he wanted to talk to those who had been around Jesus. Now, I'll just briefly touch on this fourthly this morning. He was a man of science and a man of medicine. He has, there there are stories in his gospel of healing Lepers, paralytics, a man with a withered hand, the dead are raised. It appears that, that uh, Luke, um, when Luke describes the woman who touched the cloak of Jesus and was healed, uh, when Mark writes about it, he's, Mark is almost kind of critical of doctors, of how the doctors haven't taken care of this woman. When Luke writes about it, he kind of softens it a little bit because he knew that there's some things that you just can't heal, and particularly in the first century, and so he kind of, uh, Mark is almost, man, these doctors, they just, they've kind of not really taken care of this woman. And Luke just kind of shares and says, listen, I'm trying to tell you there are some things that man's medicine can't do that only the power of God can do. And so Luke kind of contrasts that a little bit different the way Mark writes about it. Luke is incredibly fascinated with the miracles. There are 35 miracles recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 20 of those are in Luke. Luke writes about 20 of the 35. And of those 20, seven of them are only found in Luke's gospel. So Luke was, as a doctor, a man of science, he was incredibly fascinated that science would say to you, this can't be done. And Luke wants to say, oh, yeah, it can, because God is all-powerful, he's almighty, and God can do anything. And so Luke highlights these great miracles of Jesus in this great way. Now, you've got to look here with me. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 because this is another aspect about him being a man of science and medicine that is pretty fascinating. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All right, verse 23. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. So are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far, listen to what he's, Paul's going to describe the things that happened to him in his life. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Now let's just stop there for a moment. Paul's describing his life. 
He says, listen, I have been beaten so many times for the gospel that I can't even count how many blows have come against my body. There have been times in my life where I have not just, there was a time when I was stoned outside of Lystra that everybody thought I was dead. No, he says, listen, I was often near death, Paul says. Often. You know what the word often means? That's not rare. That is, this was a consistent thing. I was beaten and I was often near death. Look at verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Listen to this description. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, I've been in hunger and thirst, and often without food, and I've been in the cold and the exposure. Now just look up here for a second. Guess who needed a doctor? The Apostle Paul. And I think the reason in Colossians 4, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, is because there were many times that Luke was used by God to bring healing to the body of Paul so that they could go to the next town to preach the gospel. And if you and I are here today in this room and we've been impacted by the book of Galatians or the letter to Philemon, we can say thank you to Luke today because Luke had invested his expertise and his training and his skill as a doctor to help keep, Luke alive, help keep Paul alive. It's almost as if he became Paul's personal physician. Do you sense that? It's just there. And that's why he says he's the beloved physician. By the way, Luke, that description in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Luke was present for a lot of that. He was a traveler with Paul. So they were robbed. Luke was out in the cold with Paul, shaking. Days on end, taking the gospel to some city, and they feel like they're about to starve to death. So that's Luke. That's Luke, and he doesn't brag about it, doesn't make a big deal about it. And you can see this emphasis, is this great humility that he has. I mean, you could, I talked about this last week, you could get on the church speaking to her if you said, I'm the Apostle Paul's personal physician. I mean, can you imagine the status that would give? But Luke is like, meh. Nah. He, just, he just hides behind this 24-chapter, 28-chapter volume of the church and Jesus. And he just says, no, let, let that be the testimony of my life. I'm nothing. Jesus is everything. And he just has this great humility. It also means this about him. He was a man who went. He was a man on the go. He was a man who embraced the call to take the gospel to the nations. Now, not everybody is called to go live somewhere, but all of us are called to go. We're all called to go. For Luke's, eventually, at some point in time, it was to join Paul to be a missionary, in a sense, to take the gospel to another place and live among another people. And so Luke embraced that call, and his faith, I think, as, he, as deeper discipleship came, there came a time one day where God said, okay, I want you to go, and he joined up with Paul, and he went with them. I want you to look, we're just going to look at a couple more passages. Go to Acts chapter 16, uh, just for a moment. And I want to show you something in Acts chapter 16. 
um, about this thing that I said a while ago that somewhere in Acts 16, Luke joins up with Paul. And you can kind of see it. it just, there's just a shift in Acts 16 in, in the words, the pronouns that, Paul, uh, that Luke uses. Acts 16, verse 6. And notice the pronouns. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go in Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man in Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now look at the change in verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, here's what Luke's affirming. He said, you know what? There's a point in time in my life where I left my practice. I left Antioch of Syria. I left wherever it is that he was. And he said, I went where Paul went. I went where Mark went. Aristarchus went. And these, I was with all of these that were with Paul on this journey. And he made his life be a part of this biblical missional community of taking the gospel somewhere. Let me just make one application. Acts 16 there makes this transition of they to we. And I think for every believer we have to do that. It's not they go, they go, they go, they go. No, it's we, we, and we. And that transition has to happen. Not they, but it comes to we. And and this happens with Luke's life. It didn't mean that he didn't love the church. And maybe he, wasn't a, maybe he was a teacher. And I think he probably was. I think he was a leader in the church of Philippi. Based on something that we see in Acts, uh, uh, chapters, in the ch- Acts chapter 16. The first part of chapter 17. Um, and so, but there was, there was a point in time that he moved from they to we. I, I am participating in this. Next, let me just point this. I think he was a man of ministry in the church. There are 50 parables in the four Gospels. 35 of them are in Luke. And 19 of them are only found in Luke. So I think he had a pastor's heart, a teaching heart. Jesus used parables to teach things. And again, Luke was not there to hear any of these parables. So what did he do? He talked to eyewitnesses. This is how Jesus taught this parable. This is what Jesus said. Um, We have Luke chapter 15. Luke, Luke chapter 15 is this amazing chapter. Three things are lost. Three things are found. This great celebration happens when things that are lost are found. And Luke's the only one who writes about it. A lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And the celebrative aspect. And so Luke, I think, had a pastor's heart. And when you read Luke's gospel, you just see this teaching and this emphasis. He talks about in the book of Acts that when they got to Philippi, the Lord opened the heart of Lydia. He speaks about the two guys on Emmaus walking with Jesus, and Jesus talks about the Old Testament passages, and, he's, and those two guys later say, didn't our hearts burn within us when he explained the scriptures on the road? Later that night, on the day of the resurrection, Jesus appears in the upper room, and Luke records this. He said, and he opened the mind of the apostles to the scripture. I think a pastor understands that that the Spirit opens the mind through the Scripture for people to understand things. And I believe that the end of, uh, we just read it a while ago, Luke makes that transition from they to we. And in Acts chapter 17, they're, they're leaving, uh, Paul and Silas are leaving Philippi, 
And in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, it says this, and they went on, and the indication there is Luke stayed behind in Philippi. And a lot of scholars think that Luke may have stayed for about four years in Philippi, and he may have become the pastor of the church in Philippi until he meets up with Luke, or meets up with Paul a little bit later in the missionary journeys. So he's a man of ministry. He's also a man of deep humility. He never writes one thing about himself. He never makes a big deal about himself. Again, he just pushes forth this truth and the stories of Jesus, and he makes a big deal about that. He's content to be hidden behind the massive and marvelous two-volume work that the Spirit used him to write. And I thought this week, I've been in ministry for 33 years, and um, there's not been a church or a mission trip that I've gone on that I've not spoken out of the book of Acts or the book of Luke. And I think it's just fascinating, you know, here, places that we go, when we, when we read something and teach something out of Luke and Acts, uh, we are teaching something in whom the Spirit had moved in a man who loved Jesus, and the influence of Luke's life still is coming to us today. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we're transformed as we th- read the Scripture that the Spirit and these stories that He had researched and He had written down that have come to us. And our lives have been shaped to a place of maturity because there was a man who said, I'm going to allow the Spirit to speak to me and I'm going to yield. And as I do that, I will write. And, and, And the Scriptures have come to us and they've shaped us. And we are different because of Luke. I believe also he was a man of faithful prayer. So listen to these words. Paul's in Rome. He's been arrested. He's there for a while. He's got companions with him. When Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says something very interesting. Listen to these words. This is chapter 1, verse 3. He says, we, not Paul, he says, we always thank God for you, church, in the Colossians. We thank God for you from the the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. And in verse 9 in chapter 1, he says, And so, from the day we heard about you, we, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I believe Paul and Luke and Aristarchus and John Mark met together maybe daily on a consistent basis while Paul was under house arrest. You know what they did? They prayed. Guess which of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have more descriptions and writing of prayer? Luke. I think he was impacted greatly in Rome by those prayer meetings, praying for the church, praying for believers. He's the only who records for us when the disciples came and said, Lord, they were watching him pray, and they came and said, Lord, teach us to pray, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. And Luke records that for us. He writes more about that. The word pray, prayed, and praise uh, is mentioned 31 times in 28 chapters in the book of Acts. He was a man of prayer. Are we? Have we learned that like Luke learned, that prayer, seeking God, is incredibly important? A few more things. I think he was a man of faithful companionship. During the Apostle Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, about eighty sixty to 62, he was under house arrest. And, and the scripture closes in Acts chapter 28. 
that Paul's friends could come and visit him. He wasn't under just tremendous. There was a little bit of freedom there. And so Acts chapter 28, if you've ever read that, it uh, closes where um, Paul is moving about. It's probably where these prayer meetings are happening and taking place. And Luke is there, um, we believe, pretty securely believe, that Acts chapter 28 is, uh, at some particular point in time, after Acts chapter 28, Paul is released from prison. He has a, a third missionary journey, and in that missionary journey, he's arrested again. Uh, he's taken back to Rome. He is killed at this particular point in time. But this is where he writes the letter to Timothy, the second letter in chapter 4, and he is on the doorstep of death. And we're pretty sure that that's the case of things. And if that is the case of things, and I do believe that it is, that Luke was probably there when they laid Paul's head down on a block and they cut his head off. And it's probable that Luke took the lifeless, headless body of Paul and buried him in Rome can you imagine the emotions Luke felt as he held the body of a man that had been so alive to the gospel and now he's gone can you imagine the conversations they had in those days leading up to Paul's death under Nero but Luke was there as a matter of fact Chris we put it up on the screen this is 2 Timothy chapter 4 9 through 11 It's the last words that Paul wrote, probably some of the last theme and ideas that he said. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Let me just stop there for a moment. Demas was a follower, and Demas has shipwrecked his faith, and Demas fell in love with the world and not the gospel and not Jesus anymore, and he found something in Thessalonica way more important, and so he abandons Paul. Maybe Demas couldn't handle the persecution as it was getting greater under Nero. I think Crescens and Titus, this is not a negative picture. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Look at verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Everybody's gone. And my faithful friend Luke is with me. Yeah, the persecution and Rome is deep and everybody's fled and everybody's gone and and the believers that are probably here, they're in hiding. But Luke's stuck his neck out and he's made himself visible and he's coming to visit me still. And then he says, get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me in ministry. In those last days in Rome, there are two men who have walked thousands and thousands of miles together. They've crossed rivers. They've been shipwrecked. They've been robbed. They've been freezing to death. They thought they were going to die. They've been hunger. They've been without food. And Luke was there for all of that. Right with the Apostle Paul. Not only was he a faithful companion, but he was a faithful man of faith until the very end. The Scripture doesn't tell us how Luke died, but church tradition does. Scripture tells us that after Paul was beheaded in likely A.D. 67, that Luke left Rome and he went to Greece. And in central Greece, there's a place called Thebes. Thebes. And that's the place where 
Luke lived and he ministered. It was near the place where a guy named Theophilus was a governor of a region in central Greece called Achaia. So church tradition tells us that he went to Greece. Church tradition also tells us that one day uh, Luke was 84 years old and a mob rose up in Thebes and arrested Luke and at eight at 84 years of age, they laid him down and they, I don't mean to be graphic here today, I just want to tell you the truth. Church tradition tells us they flayed him. That means they cut off his skin. And then they crucified him on an olive tree in Thebes. And there, the faithful companion of the Apostle Paul breathed his last breath and was faithful until the very end. And we mention Luke a lot. We mention the book of Acts a lot. And um, church tradition tells us that that's how it ended for him. From the life of Luke, it's clear that no matter what course of life that you're on, God can step in and radically change it. He was going to have a medical practice for all of his days. And then he gets to be best friends with the Apostle Paul. And he's there to the very end and likely buries his body. And I think Luke is an example to those of us who can be so close-minded to the call of God upon our life and, and say, no, 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 my parents had a plan for me, I have a plan for me, and I'm sticking to the plan. And, and we reject this idea of we plan our ways, but the Lord orders our steps. And we just say, no, I plan my way, and I'm going to plan my steps. And, and what if Luke had been that way? We would not have this gospel today. We would not have a historical record of how the church was founded. And he probably had social status in his community as a doctor, but when confronted with the truth one day, he just said, I'm going to walk with Jesus. And he trusted Jesus and he walked with him and he knew that Jesus was the truth and his life was forever changed. Quite the contrast of Jonah, right? I love the Gospel of Luke, and, and uh, I think we're gonna get to. Ha- I know we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to be perfect. We're going to have all these knowledge, but there's an aspect of me that wishes we could ask questions of these people who lived a long time ago we never got to meet. When you love to talk to them and say, "What was it like on that river that day when y'all were crossing? You thought you were going to drown, and you didn't drown, and you end up getting that city, and you started a church there." Finishing well, men and women. This is what we've got to do. And Luke did. Luke did. And he's a model for us of how we ought to live our lives. So this is what we're going to do next few weeks. We're going to look at another obscure person next week um, that we've heard about but not really thought much about. All right, let's pray.